If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Someone keeping their eye on me gifted me a plant, holy one. The note read, do nothing but set it on a table and watch a miracle occur. Mm, Really? No need to fuss, no need to worry, no need to try to do everything just so, so that it turns out all right. We are more like Job, Holy One, wanting to know exactly how things are going to work out, wondering where you are in this mess. If I go forward, God is not there, or backward, I cannot perceive God. Perhaps, if we could see some accountability, some change, some movement, we wouldn't feel the need to fuss, to worry, to try to do everything just so. But Jesus told a parable about this. The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. So perhaps we just need to work on looking for the miracles that are already growing. And as the poet wrote, trust where we cannot know. This is going to take some practice. Be with us, Holy One, as we gather up our faith to do this work. We pray in the name of Jesus, who made a way for us. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80, and I am reading from the Inclusive Bible. When the time came for Elizabeth to deliver, she gave birth to a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard that God had been merciful to her, they shared her joy. When all had assembled for the circumcision on the eighth day, they intended to name the baby after his father, Zachariah. But the mother spoke up, no, he is to be called John. They pointed out to her, "Um, but no one in your family has that name. 
Then they made signs to the father to find out what he wanted the child to be named. The father asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. They were all astonished. Immediately, Zachariah's mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Their neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these events. All who heard the news stored it in their hearts and said, What will this child turn out to be? For God's hand was with him. Zechariah, John's father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed are you, the Most High God of Israel, for you have visited and redeemed your people. You have raised up a mighty Savior for us of the house of David, as you promised through the mouths of your holy ones, the prophets of ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all our foes. You have shown mercy to our ancestors by remembering the holy covenant you made with them, the oath you swore to Sarah and Abraham, granting that we, delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve you without fear in holiness and justice in your presence all our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you'll go before our God to prepare the way for the promised one, giving the people the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Such is the tender mercy of our God, who from on high will bring the rising sun to visit us, to give light to those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. In the meantime, the child grew up and became strong in spirit. He lived out in the desert until the day he appeared openly in Israel. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Well, this story feels much more adventy than those apocalyptic texts we've been reading lately. This, at least, has the birth of a baby in it. The only problem is that it's the wrong baby. We're supposed to be talking about baby Jesus, right? But this is talking about a baby named John. Well, actually, this story isn't really about a baby at all, not about baby Jesus or about baby John. It's about the people who raised them. Here's what we didn't read today. Zachariah was an old, old, old priest married to a righteous woman named Elizabeth, who was one of the women in the Bible described as barren. That word is jarring for many of us. It comes with too many experiences of awkward or painful, even if well-meaning conversations about why some of us do not have children. There are lots of phrases to describe people without children that aren't so triggering, but the Bible only uses the one, barren. This can be especially difficult for those of us who face infertility. It can also be hard for those of us who do not want children and are made to feel less than because of it. Unfortunately, infertility and fertility is the Bible's preferred literary paradigm for the relationship between God and God's people. The Bible uses this language in part because Scripture does not care about our feelings, and also because one of the most important functions of Scripture is to offer metaphor, 
It's telling us a story with a capital S to teach us truth with a capital T. So it is that the Bible uses the metaphor of infertility and fertility to describe Israel's political and religious condition. There are six barren women in the Bible, three of the four biblical matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, plus Hannah, and the anonymous wife of Manoah, the mother of Samson, and the anonymous acolyte of the prophet Elisha. Sometimes their stories get swept under the rug, and it's important to name them as best we can. The text tells us their stories of barrenness to fruitfulness to tell us Israel's story of moving from barrenness to fruitfulness. But none of that is meant to infer that infertility is divine punishment or that a person's worth is dependent on their womb or their fertility. For as Dr. Lisa Davison reminds us, non-parents play crucial roles in the stories of Israel as prophet, judge, warrior, scholar, scribe. These are people who made Israel's story possible and helped it continue for future generations. Our story this morning centers on a couple who did not have children, although we are told in this case that it was because they were getting on in years, which is a moderately polite way of saying that ship has sailed. <laughs> and nothing indicated that their situation was going to change. Remember that metaphor, though. What's unusual about this story is that the focus is on the man, the father-to-be, Zachariah, instead of the barrenness of Elizabeth. It's Zachariah who tells us about the relationship between God and God's people. We read the happy ending. That, that's what we just read. We read the happy ending. He was so happy. But here's what happens in the 56 verses that come before the ones we read today. The story goes that one day, as Zechariah was pastoring, tending to his priestly duties, the angel Gabriel appeared to him, and Gabriel had some wild news for Zechariah. Elizabeth would conceive a son to be named John, who would be filled with the Holy Spirit, turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This kid is ready for enrollment in the gifted and talented program today. But instead of receiving this news with humility or deference or even just a little bit of excitement, Zachariah immediately expresses skepticism. Um, I am old, and my wife is definitely old. We are too old for this baby stuff. So this does not exactly sit well with the angel who replies to Zachariah, and this is a rough translation. Zachariah, if you can't say anything nice, you can't say anything at all. And as the text tells us, Zachariah's lips were sealed. For nine months, Zachariah couldn't speak. I will tell you, laryngitis was a new trick for the divine, pushing the mute button on a human. 
It's, it's different than some of the other stories we have that involve humans receiving unexpected news from an angel. I remember Sarah from that list of barren women. That mother of our faith was also skeptical of the news that she would have a baby in her old age. Her response was basically the same as Zachariah's. Like maybe a little worse though, she laughed at God. The lady had ovaries of steel. (laughs) And despite this laughter, God does not silence Sarah. So perhaps if Zachariah had laughed, he too could have sidestepped being mute. I mean, perhaps God appreciates a sense of humor. If only Zachariah had been less grumpy. But even separated by 2,000 years, I can say that as a colleague, I recognize Zachariah as a tired, worn-out pastor. Zachariah was done. We know the feeling. As Reverend Melissa Florer Bixler explains, the great resignation is well underway in the United States with 3% of employees collectively refusing the terms of low wages, absent benefits, and dangerous working conditions. Pastors are walking away too. Recent poll data collected by Barna Group, a California-based research firm that studies faith and culture, revealed that about 38% of Protestant senior pastors surveyed have considered leaving ministry over the past year. Among pastors under the age of 45, that number rose to 46%. The top reasons include church bullies, factions that won't participate in the life of the church other than to gossip or to complain, and the exhaustion of the post-Trump era combined with 18 months of learning how to live stream worship, telepastoral care, and online funerals. And it turns out that Zachariah too, was a priest in a particularly difficult moment in history. Scholars estimate this story to have taken place close to the death of King Herod the Great amid political turmoil and religious unrest. King Herod the Great's rule is considered one of the most bloody and paranoid, even by the standards of Hellenistic monarchies. Based on the writings of Josephus, it was a terrible time of violence, mass terror, and widespread surveillance that some have likened to the rule of Stalin, and there wasn't an end in sight to the crisis. It is clear that Zachariah could not imagine a different path, a different story, a different future. It is in this context that Zachariah enters his enforced period of silence. But if we read the story with that metaphor in mind, when we listen to Zachariah say, how can this be? We are so old about getting a baby. We really hear him say, how can this be so? Things are too bad. I cannot imagine a new story, a future different than the present, one of freedom and liberation. And and most unbelievable of all, a future of God's peace. It took 
nine months for Zechariah to grow a new attitude, to be able to imagine a new future. As it became more and more obvious that Elizabeth was indeed going to have a baby, Zechariah couldn't say a word. He just had to receive it. When their cousin Mary knocked timidly on their front door, bearing the news of her own baby, and when Elizabeth explained that a child in her womb leapt for joy at this news, Zachariah just had to take it in. Zachariah was only able to watch as evidence that everything could change grew in the bodies of an old woman and a teenage girl. Perhaps this is an invitation for us as well, an invitation to take an opportunity to just zip it and receive a new story, a new understanding, a new beginning. If there was anyone who thought their story was in its final version, it was Zachariah. But I know a few of us who think that way too. Perhaps it's you. Perhaps you are someone who has an old story, a worn out story. It just happens to be the only story you know. Maybe your old story is that you're just one person trying to do their best, but it will never be enough. Maybe your old story is that for decades you've believed you've had to hide your sexuality. Or maybe it's the story of addiction, that you aren't funny or clever or interesting without a few in you. Maybe it's the story that you are what you do, that your identity is your occupation, that work is the only thing that makes you valuable. Maybe your story is one unhealthy relationship after another, or the story is that you are the strong one, so you can't show any cracks in your armor. Maybe the only reason it's your story is because that's what your mom did or that's how your dad acted, so it's just your fate Yes, we indeed have difficulty believing that anything will ever change or that we will ever be at peace. We have a similar public narrative, too. I know you know that one. America is on a path of division and violence from which we will not deviate. It's the story of every generation being spoken of as less good, less hardworking, less responsible, less everything than the one that came before. The story that there are fewer kind people in the world as if there are limited editions. That we're all going to hell in a handbasket. Like Zachariah, many of us are having a hard time believing in a future different from the present. We have difficulty believing in a future of liberation and most unbelievable of all, that a future of God's peace will come. So thank God for this story, for it is right on time, this story that tells us exactly how radical, how different, how unexpected the work of God is. As we read it today, we might begin to see new possibilities for ourselves. We might be able to see that not only is God up to something, but that we too are up to the task. This is the conclusion Zechariah came to after his tongue was loosed. Listen again to the song he sings when he could speak again. 
Such is the tender mercy of our God, who from on high will bring the rising sun to visit us, to give light to those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. His speech, all of the sudden, is full of wonder and curiosity and gratitude to be part of the work, and he becomes a prophet of a different story. Something is waiting to be born in us, then, now, and always, if we can remain open to the possibility. God was, is, and always will be up to something new, and up to something new in ways we don't see coming, things we just can't perceive until we are quiet long enough to receive a new story. And so it is in this way that we approach the communion table this Sunday. It is, in some ways, a spiritual practice of enforced silence, because we can't be talking with our mouths full now, can we? We won't be here for nine months. We can chew very slowly, though, and in that practice of silence, begin to rewrite our story, provide our own plot twist, and imagine a different ending. So let us begin. Come, all who have told themselves the same story about themselves for so many years that you can't remember who you really are. Come, all who need help finding their curiosity and imagination. Come, all who need a moment of quiet. Come, all who hope for a better future, all who long for peace, all who pursue love, and all who seek joy. Come, all who are hanging by a thread, and all who feel pretty good about things. Come, all who are in between. Come, for the table is ready. Please take your elements of communion, hold them in front of you, and let us bless them together with a word of prayer. Gracious God, as we prepare our hearts and minds for a moment of silence, we ask blessing on the bread and cup. May they remind us that less can be more. May they inspire us to see beyond what is. May they sustain us as we go out into the world to be your hands and feet. Be with us in the upcoming moment of silence. But more than that, please speak, Holy One, for we are listening. Amen. When we come to this table, carrying the story of Zechariah with us, it reminds us that this is also the story of Jesus and his insistence that a different story is possible. We do not have to return evil for evil or hate our enemies. After all, if what we always do, what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always got. 
We remember that Jesus blessed the bread and broke it, saying, This is my body, though broken, still provides nourishment. We remember that Jesus poured the cup and blessed it, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, Eat this bread and drink this cup in remembrance of his life and ministry, which continues to inspire us to work for a future fit for our children. And so it is in the name of Jesus that we do so now. Our time of silence is much shorter than Zachariah's, but in both cases, silence is not the end of the story. Perhaps for Zachariah, he was quiet so long that he simply had to burst forth in song when it was over. And that's, that's a real miracle, isn't it? When Zachariah's tongue was loosed, he didn't use it to justify himself or defend himself or rehash the past. Having been silent and watchful and receptive, when Zachariah could finally speak again, he sang, he prophesied, he spoke of hope and a future of social and personal redemption. Listen again, again, to those last lines. Such is the tender mercy of our God, who from on high will bring the rising sun to visit us, to give light to those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, his speech is full of wonder and gratitude for being part of the work, and he becomes a prophet of a different story. May it be so for us, too. We are grateful, Holy One, for this moment of silence. We promise to return to it again and again, that it might guide our feet into the way of peace. With hopeful hearts, we pray, amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m., with Sunday school classes for all ages at 10 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.